0: Well, good morning. Man, what a fun way to to celebrate today. I want to join in uh, all the congratulatory remarks that have already been made so far, uh, and also tell all of those folks who have reached this milestone, congratulations, man. It's such a a tremendous achievement, whether it's high school or college or master's or doctorate level. uh, What an amazing thing uh, to accomplish. And I'm excited for each of you to see what is on the horizon, right? As you reach this milestone, we know that that means God is leading you into a new chapter of life, and we want you to know that we're here to celebrate it, whatever it looks like and wherever he leads. So congratulations. Uh, I'm excited about uh, this morning. I'm excited about this service. Uh, I also want to continue to express gratitude to all of you that joined in and participated with our Q&A session on Wednesday as we continue to figure out, man, what is it going to look like for us to, to start gathering together again here. And uh, you all provided some wonderful questions, some great suggestions, uh, but overall I I left feeling uh, positive about our our current plan. And so what that means is uh, next Sunday, May 31st, we're going to have people here. Uh, And we're going to do it in that controlled way, that measured way, uh, as we've explained. Uh, But that's an exciting thing. And so the registration for that service will be made available. It will go live tomorrow, uh, Monday, and so be looking for that. Please sign up, and we will notify you through the week, uh, additional details as you prepare. I will tell you, uh, even in in the midst of this service, we actually have a few people with us. Uh, We wanted to have a little bit of a test run prior to doing that, just to, again, demonstrate the sort of intentionality with which we're trying to work through these plans, Uh, but I also mention it to you because I can't help but just feel somewhat uh, overjoyed with the fact that I'm here and I'm not sitting in front of an empty sanctuary. And so it's going to be difficult to figure out, do I continue to look at the camera so you all at home are looking straight at me, or can I join and look at the folks that are here with me tonight, who I'm so glad to be with us, uh, or this morning. You know, you've caught us. It's, 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 it's out there at this point. We pre-record these things, but that's okay. Um, but anyway, I'm so grateful that we are getting close to that chapter and I'm grateful that we are able to celebrate these graduates who have also entered into a new chapter. And so let me just pray uh, for them. Let us pray for uh, the the season which our church is about to embark upon and just ask that God would continue to lead all of us faithfully according to his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do love you, and we are so grateful uh, for who you are, and we're so grateful for the many ways that you lead. Uh, we, we celebrate these graduates who have worked so hard um, to, to strive for a new milestone, for a new accomplishment in the way that you have faithfully led them. We, God, God, we pray you would continue to lead them faithfully. Uh, we are thankful for the way that you continue to show your presence to this church as we, we demonstrate to the best of our ability what it means to live out the gospel um, in, in all seasons and circumstances. And as we prepare to continue to, to develop Um, what that looks like, and to provide connectivity uh, through discipleship groups and through gatherings on Sunday morning. God, grant us wisdom. Grant us provision. Grant us your guidance. uh, But let us always keep our eyes focused on you and give you the praise you deserve. We ask now, God, that your word would enrich us and enliven our time together, that we would be forever changed by all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so I love Disney movies. Uh, there's some of my favorites and whether they're classic or they're recent uh, there's always these recognizable quotes that i feel like you can walk away from from some of these great disney movies and so uh, a couple that i was thinking of some of the more famous lines you think about a classic like pinocchio let your conscience be your guy right what a great phrase that we took away from that wonderful movie or peter pan's think happy thoughts right it's such a great way uh, for you to find a positive message as a young child. The Lion King's well-known phrase and song, hakuna matata, which we know means no worries, right? That's another great phrase and quote that we have there. The act of a true love thaws a frozen heart, right? Frozen for all your Frozen fans out there. You got a friend in me, Toy Story, Just Keep Swimming, Finding Nemo, Adventure is Out There, Up, Right? These are great lines and they're great movies, but part of the reason we, we tend to remember them is not just because of the movie that helped entertain us and present us these lines, but that's actually some really great life advice. not those are good words to live by? And it's a great opportunity for us to go, yeah, that that has some great um, things that I can kind of build my life around or some lessons that I can learn. So I was thinking about some of these lessons that Disney has helped brought or bring into our lives and i think if i was going to submit to you the one that, that seems to have the most practical advice and has the most uh, i guess the way that it really just kind of resonates with me i'd probably submit to you that moment where that that little baby deer falls down on the ground and here comes this little bunny rabbit and, and and the bunny rabbit says well he don't walk very good does he and then all of a sudden you see the bunny rabbit's mom speak up and say now thumper what did your father tell you this morning And thumper shyly looks at the ground and says well if you can't say anything nice don't say anything at all right Uh, man what wonderful advice uh truly words to live by and and i think that's one of the the greatest lessons that we've we've ever been able to to really take from disney and some of the ways that they bring those stories and those lessons to life and i share it with you this morning because it really does uh, drive us to the heart of this message in this verse that we're going to be looking at today. It's, it's a simple and innocent way to be reminded of the fact that words are powerful. I mean, they, they are tremendously powerful. And so as we prepare to, to look at God's Word today, I'm curious, what words do you hear? Right? What, what words do you uh, say? How, how do you uh, fill the hearts and minds of the people in, in your life? And when you think about how they fill your heart and mind, what what are the words that you're hearing? And what are the words that ring the most loudly in your life? That's something that I really want us to give thoughtful consideration to this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. One of the things that I would tell you as we prepare to look at this passage today is, you know, some verses just stick with you. You know what I mean? Like, this is one of those verses for me. I would never say that it's my favorite verse uh, so to speak those are often found to be the more inspirational the more um, motivational maybe but but sometimes when we're reading through scriptures we, we come across a verse that just hits us right and, it, and it's almost like it was written just for us and you don't even have to try to memorize it it's just almost like it's just tattooed on your brain and i had one of those experiences with this verse that we're going to be looking at today See, growing up, I, I knew that my personality um, had some, some difficulties, right? It, it had some extremes associated with it. Uh, I was always opinionated as a young kid. I, I was always argumentative. Uh, I have uh, my default sense of humor is sarcasm. And so I, I remember learning throughout most of my childhood that my words uh, could be destructive. I, I remember even a good friend of mine, Adam Luther, in high school challenging me at one point point, saying, I don't even know if you could go a whole day without being sarcastic. And, and it stuck with me because I remember the way he said it. I realized, oh, this isn't as funny as I think it is, right? They're not enjoying it the same way that I am. And, and it kind of resonated that I really needed to work on this. And so I was entering into this, this transitional season of life. I think it was as I was finishing high school and going into college where I really began to recognize how some of these personality traits were serving as weaknesses, and then I read this verse. I don't remember the day, I don't remember the exact time, but I'll always remember this verse. Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. As soon as I read that, it stuck with me. I mean, it just immediately resonated with me. And and it was something that I knew I needed to work on and and something that really helped me recognize just how powerful words can be. And I I know that through the course of that experience, I I recognized how that was true, not just in my own life, but really every area of life. And, And one of the images that I really have always resonated with is Psalm 64 describes evil words as deadly arrows, and I think that's such a powerful image, you know, because there's a lot of things that, that we can do in life, a lot of mistakes that we can make that we can correct, right? You get in a, a car accident and you can get your car fixed. You know, you, you borrow something from somebody and you lose it, you can buy another one, you can replace it. But there are some things that we do that you can't take back. And, and words are like that, right? As soon as they leave your mouth, it's like an arrow that's been released from a bow. It, it's too late. You're not going to be able to retrieve it. You, you can't undo it. Like, it's going to land. It's going to hit. And so we have to give thoughtful consideration. What are we saying? And how is it landing in the lives of others? And that's what I love about this passage. It's so rich and it's so challenging because it ultimately forces us to give great consideration to that and really through two different angles, right? Two, two different lenses to help us really consider that. Uh, the, the first is this contrast of unwholesome And the second is that which is useful or helpful, right? And that's really the approach I want us to take uh, as we begin to dive into this verse and really try to to reflect on how this should impact our own lives. So when we first look at this opening statement, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Well, what does that mean? Uh, The word unwholesome literally means rotten or decaying. So it's, it's a word that's used in other parts of the New Testament, usually the Gospels, and, and there are a couple of references to rotting fish or, or a tree that is not producing fruit. It's decaying, right? And so the actual intent of those passages is not so much the, the literal decaying and rotting of those things, but the message is, hey, these things are no longer useful, right? They're, they're, they're not good at all. And, and so the imagery here is that when you use unwholesome talk, it is a completely useless right? It's not beneficial in any regard. Other, other words that you could use to help define unwholesome would be destructive, would, would be evil, right? Uh, harsh, right? That, that's the word. And so if, if we're going to do enough self-introspection today to really evaluate um, what does it mean for us to, to guard against unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths, I want us to give greater understanding of what unwholesome talk really looks like our settings. And so I I don't know what you typically think of when you hear a phrase unwholesome talk. What what is that? Um, And I think there's a lot of ways that we could define it. I want to try to narrow our focus a little bit this morning and and really try to drive home a couple things for us to consider. I think the most obvious one would be profanity, right? Swearing, cussing, bad language, and, and really kind of seeing how that influences our life. I remember one day I was driving James to school and uh, we always have you know like a little 10-minute drive and so we have some fun little chats on the way to school you never know what kind of questions uh, you know I think at the time he was maybe seven years old is going to ask you in the morning but on this particular morning he just said dad what are some bad words <laughs> and what was funny was in the moment I almost answered you know I was, I was like oh well here's a few you know and then I realized wait this is not how it, like sons aren't supposed to learn those from their fathers. I'm supposed to help correct those. And so I simply asked him, well, what do you, what do you think they are? And he didn't have any. Um, and so I said, well, whenever you hear one that you think is bad, you come ask me and I'll let you know one way or another. Uh, but it's interesting that we have, as a society, identified words that we understand to be inappropriate. And, and that's been proven. There, there's this TED talk that I came across that, that really dove into this that is identified that through the course of, you know, modern civilization, societies have this opportunity to kind of say, okay, here's, here's the words that are deemed inappropriate. And the reason we do that is because when we identify that and agree upon it as a society, we give those words extra power that allows us to use them in a way to convey significant meaning, right? And so think about some of the common ways that, that we often um, experience or overhear Profanity. You you see it from a point of emphasis, right? Somebody's trying to make a point, and the fact that that word is not typically used now that it's been heard, the point is made a little bit more stronger. You you think about it from a cathartic standpoint. Um, Science has shown that when you experience pain, you have an instinct to sound an alarm to let others know. And so, part of that, by knowing subconsciously this word is not normally used, it's it's a better alarm system for other people to come rushing to your aid. You, you see idiomatic use where there are these opportunities to just kind of demonstrate this is what's kind of cool, this is a comfortable group. I know we don't normally say this with other people, but we'll say it because we're all friends and this is, you know, this is a little bit more casual. So there are all these, these settings that it can be used, but we need to caution against those things because what we also see in the Scriptures in the Gospel of Matthew is that we're going to give an account for every careless word that we utter. Right, So, so regardless of, of the innocence that might come with catharsis or an idiomatic situation or, or a point of emphasis, we must never be careless with our words. But what really we need to give consideration to when we think about this from a profanity standpoint is that there are these other two categories of profanity that I think really drive more to the heart of, of, of the soul of the matter and what this verse, I think, is really trying to get after. One of the things that I think helps us see this is to ask the question, why are some words considered bad, especially when they have the same meaning of other words that are, for whatever reason, deemed to be socially appropriate, right? So you have two words that mean the exact same thing, one we can't say in public, and one is, okay, how did that happen? It's really interesting. Uh, According to this TED Talk that I referenced a second ago, it really comes from class distinction, and so in, in medieval England, there was a lower class people that spoke a Germanic language and an upper class group that spoke more of a Latin-based language. And so we, we, as English speakers, have words from both. So the lower class worked with the animals. And so from them, we get words of animals, cow, pig, chicken. Okay, the upper class never worked with the animals, they're the ones that, that ate the meat. And so for them, we get from their language, uh, beef, pork, poultry. So the lower class, those words are more Germanic in heritage. The other upper class is more Latin in heritage. And so most of the time, not always, but most of the time, some of these words that are considered to be profanity come from the lower class. Now think about that for a moment, right? The, the message behind that is that these words were deemed unacceptable because these people Redeemed, unacceptable, right? We're gonna speak this way because of this class distinction. And so some of this, this profanity that, that we utilize in, in conversation or we hear in society is really a, a mirror of a dehumanizing of others, which is incredibly unwholesome, right? I, I don't wanna use this word. This word is considered inappropriate because their lifestyle, those people are considered inappropriate. I don't want to be associated with them. That's pretty, pretty powerful when you think about that, how that's developed. Now, other words have developed just because they're designed to be hurtful, right? They, they are literally intended to be abusive. And we've had words developed through the years that have given, been given that connotation that typically are used to humiliate, demean, or objectify somebody that is typically considered to be marginalized or, or less than. So now we have words that, that pour into um, negative connotations based on somebody's race or ethnicity or culture or gender. Right, you, you think about the way that coarse joking can materialize in that locker room humor where, where guys will say something that they think will get a laugh out of their buddies, but the reality is it's so demeaning and so objectifying of another so in those last two examples, what we're seeing is, is that these words that, that are not just profanity because they're not just socially unacceptable really drive to this heart that is saying somebody is less than, right? It is a, a destruction of relationship. It is a tearing down of the neighbor. And, and that's exactly the sort of unwholesomeness that should never leave our mouths. Now, it, it's much more, though— than just profanity, right? There's a lot of other ways that language can be unwholesome. Another thing we should probably consider this morning is gossip. Now, interestingly enough, gossip is really, in its purest definition, just talking about somebody that's not in the room. Right? That's really all it is. And you can have a lot of conversations about somebody that's not present, that is not harmful, it's not positive, it's just neutral. And, and that's really what the majority of gossip is. But we also know that uh, it can veer into one of two areas where it becomes positive and affirming of somebody that's not there, or it can be negative. And when you compare those two options, negative is definitely the more common use. Why is that? What, why are we drawn towards negative gossip? It's pretty interesting. I came across uh, another bit of research about this. This is a, a dated article from NPR back in 2011 that really uh, identified that part of what has driven this is this survival instinct, right? That one of the reasons we're almost drawn towards gossip is because gossip helps us determine who is friend or foe. And, and that makes sense, right? If I hear something negative about somebody, then, then I now know, stay away from that person. Stay, stay Avoid those options, that that person could be harmful or damaging for whatever reason. And so, so we have this kind of inherent instinct to hear something negative somebody, if for no other reason than those survival instincts. We, we also have that inherited competitive nature, right? And so it, it's somewhat similar to the survival instinct where if we see somebody that, for lack of a better term, is higher on the food chain, right? That they have more success, then our competitive instinct kicks in. And if we hear something negative about them that we can exploit about them, then it's going to bring them down, and hopefully at least elevate ourselves, which is why we can actually sell gossip, right? We can have magazines about those people that our society would classify as being higher on the food chain, for lack of a better term, that the celebrities, the politicians who have more financial success, more power, more influence. And so because they've arrived, there's something that draws us into wanting to see them fall, right? And so we'll pay for it. Like, we will pay money to get that kind of information. That's unwholesome, right? And so it's not just is profanity prevalent in your life, but what does gossip look like in your life? And one of the things that I think we all need to remember is that we probably have all been on the receiving end of hearing that somebody said something about us behind our backs and how hurtful that is, right, and how damaging that is, again, to relationships, And I know all of us have probably been in those settings where that subject matter came up, right? And all of a sudden we had an opportunity to say something disparagingly or maliciously about somebody and and you felt those instincts start to kind of kick in and you wanted to join in in that conversation. We have to guard against that. One of the things I've used in the past is whenever I hear somebody begin to gossip in a negative light about someone else, um, rather than just try to call that person out and be like, hey, you shouldn't be gossiping um, and throwing my Bible at them or something like that. Um, I just try to counter their statement with something positive about the person they're talking about. Right? So if it's like, man, this person has terrible breath. I'm like, yeah, but they got a great haircut, you know, or so I mean, I, that's a terrible example, but you know what I mean? Like counter it with something positive and see where it goes. Because what you're doing is you're signaling to that person, Hey, I'm, I'm not joining in, right? I'm going to speak positively about others as opposed to bringing them down. So, so that sort of destructiveness is not just profanity, it's malicious talk. The, the third one I would mention this morning as well is just saying anything that could be considered hurtful. Right? This would be something we would consider to be aggressive. The Huffington Post uh, captured a, a three decades worth of studies back in an article in 2014 that really looked at aggressive behavior. And in these studies, the aggressiveness was evaluated primarily by intent, not effect. Right. And so the, the research leader in this article mentioned what we're talking about is if somebody points a gun and aims it and shoots, but they miss, right? maybe that person wasn't hurt, but the intent was still to harm. That was still aggressive behavior. And so what we're talking about here is hurtful language where the intent is to hurt and to wound somebody else. And what was interesting about this research is that it showed us that the people that are most likely to demonstrate that sort of behavior are the people that know us the most and that love us. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? And I think all of us could probably understand that. I think on one level, there is a safety that we experience with people that we know really well or that we consider family. Take a sibling, for example. I I might be more confrontational more aggressive in my speech with a sibling because I know when tomorrow comes, they're still gonna be my sibling, right? And so sometimes we misuse that safety and and say something that's incredibly hurtful. But I think what's more likely to be going on here is that when we're in these loving relationships, there's a certain vulnerability that you are exposing yourself to. And and you're opening yourself up to people that are gonna know everything about you. They're going to know your flaws. They're going to know your mistakes. They're going to know the things that can trigger you, those things that can irritate you. They're going to know your shame. And you're trusting that with them when you enter into a close and loving relationship. And their role is supposed to be loving, comforting, forgiving, and gracious. But what's happening in the process is you're giving a broken human being an arsenal of weapons that at any moment when they're wounded or when they're angry, they can fire it right back. They know exactly how to hurt. They know exactly what to say. They don't even have to elevate their tone and boom, you can cut to your heart, right? And that's a really, really difficult thing to experience. That's that arrow that leaves and you can't get back, right? So we've all been there, right? When you, when you think about unwholesome talk, when you think about what people are hearing from you, what is it, right? Is it the carelessness? Is it, is it language that truly is abusive or objectifying or dehumanizing towards another? Are, are people hearing you whisper in corners about something negative about somebody else? Have you talked to the people that you're supposed to love the most in a way that has just broken them and pulled them down? What, what are people hearing? From, what are you hearing? Right? What kind of words are filling? feeling your heart, your soul, and your mind. Unwholesome talk is incredibly destructive. And so it should never leave our mouths. Now, what we love about this verse is it continues in the same sort of mentality that we've seen throughout chapter four is that it's, it's this contrast. It's not just here's what you avoid, but here's what you do, right? Avoid unwholesome talk, but speak to that which is helpful and can build others up. So I love this because the word helpful is the same word, that we had previously when we were talking about doing something useful with our hands. You remember that passage? It's like, when you work, let it be useful so that it can help others in need. It's the same word. It means good. So when you speak, let it be helpful. Let it be good. Now, we know fundamentally only God is good. This gospel is good news. And so if we truly want to bring a goodness to other people, something that's helpful, we need to have the words of our God, our creator, this God present in our conversation in our speech but we also see with this verse a more direct definition of, of what this usefulness this helpful language looks like what it should do is build others up okay I love this okay building up is this continued image that you saw Paul even introduce when he was talking about the church being brought together and they're being kind of built up brick by brick and and I just love that imagery. But when you think about our conversations, not just with brothers and sisters in Christ, but with everyone, we should speak in such a way that it builds people up. That's the goodness we're trying to create. And that word means to strengthen, or it means to make able. I love that idea that it's, you're, you're speaking into somebody's life who doesn't recognize that they're capable, doesn't recognize that they can overcome, but because of your words, they are gonna find that confidence, they're gonna find that strength to move forward, right? We've seen this on numerous occasions. And so what I wanna do for a moment is remind all of us just how powerful words that edify, words that are good can really be. And I want us to see just how it doesn't just change your day, but it can change a society. Right, so I was thinking about drawing from different examples from um, our nation's history. I mean, there is a long list of well-known, famous speeches that I could reference to, to bring this point home. You, you think about Patrick Henry's, you know, give me liberty, give me death. You know, you think about uh, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. There, there are so many different examples of how those words were so powerful and how they strengthened people. But if I were to put one at the top of my list— that, that I just want us to kind of remember and soak in this morning, um, there, there's one that to me stands out above all the others. And it occurred uh, back on August 28, 1963. And if you think about the context of these words, you think about our nation's history, that if there is a, a, a stain that has plagued our society more than any other, it's the the dark stain of slavery and racism that has just had a ripple effect throughout our history and continues to impact us today. And the ways in which we have struggled as a people to find healing, to find reconciliation. And this moment in 1963 was a landmark moment to show us just how powerful words can strengthen and can equip and enable people to find that healing and to move forward. You had Martin Luther King sitting there on the steps of Lincoln Memorial. And there, in that moment, he offered words where he did not try to attempt to persuade or to inform. He got people to dream. And so I want to take a moment and read not all of this, but a a decent chunk of it for us to just be transported back to a time where we truly remember just how powerful words can be. He said, I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day, down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. And this will be the day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children Black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Man, those words are powerful. Those are words that strengthen a people, right? That that help heal. A nation, and it's why those words are never going to fade from our nation's history. And even though we still have a lot of work to do, even today, they can resonate because they build us up. Now, I realize very few of us, if any of us, are going to have an opportunity like the one that Martin Luther King Jr. had, right? And, and, and very few of us are going to be able to speak with such eloquence and such passion the way he had. But the reality is that image shows us just how powerful words can be and are. And so with every opportunity that we're given, right, regardless if it ever enters the, the history books or it's ever reported, those, those quiet conversations with the people around you, what are they hearing? Are you taking advantage of those opportunities to build people Gary Chapman has said that words are like bullets or seeds, right? They can either tear through somebody or they can be planted and lead to new life and flourishing. What are your words like? Bullets or seeds? We want them to create this life-giving experience in others. And so as beautiful as that is and as convicting as a verse like this can be, I want us to to try to wrap this up by answering the question, how? How do I do that? It's one thing to to look at the comparison between that which is good and that which is unwholesome, but how do I actually begin to live that out? And what makes this verse so beautiful in my mind is that the answer to that question is really underneath the surface, it's right there. It doesn't grab your attention right away, but it's there. You know what the answer is? Listen, I love that, right? Because what does he say? That you need to build others up according to their needs. We will never know what people's needs are if we don't know how to listen, right? So much of our conversation and the way that we speak is us waiting for just the opportunity to say what's on our mind, right? We're not actually listening to the other person. We, we often shout over other people or we can't wait to, to make a counterpoint to other people. But true listening, here's someone's story. And once you've heard their story then you really know what they need. Then you really know how to speak to them in a way that builds them up. We have to listen. And if we want to be the recipients of this verse, right, if if we have to recognize that, that we want to be surrounded by brothers and sisters who can speak into our lives and build us up, we have to listen and allow them to speak into our lives. Right, a lot of times we get in this habit, we cry for help, but then we don't really want to have to listen to what people have to say. Right? We have to stop our own speech from time to time and just hear what's being spoken to us. And that's where the beauty really comes in. That's, that's how this verse closes, is that, that kind of redundant phrase that says, it will benefit those who listen. And I think that's so powerful, to understand the benefits of how this can work itself out in our life. And that's, that's kind of how I want us to, to end. I, I want us to feel the weight of what words can do to us. And so I know you're at home and, and I don't know what that atmosphere is like, but for those of us that are in this room, um, in this moment, and, and for those of you that feel comfortable doing this, I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to, to imagine a moment in your life where somebody said words to you that were incredibly hurtful, where that unwholesome talk came ripping through and tore you down. And I want you to, for a moment, just remember that pain. I want you to be one with that, that heartache that it can create. I want you to also think about perhaps a time where you were the one who said something so hurtful. That time where you let that arrow fly, knowing that it was going to hurt and wound someone else. And the the regret that you possibly felt, what it did to your relationship. I, I want you for a moment to feel the weight of how hard and how destructive words can be. And I want you to counter that with better times, with other moments in your life. I want you to picture a moment where you had a chance to speak into someone's life and build them up. I want you to think about the way that you had an opportunity to provide encouragement, to strengthen, to equip somebody, and what that did for them, what it did for you. I want you to think about a time where you were the recipient of that, when your need was, was so overwhelming, you didn't know what to do with it, and somebody came into your life, strengthened you, dried your tears, told you that they love you, how healing that was. how that built you up want us to feel that contrast so that we can truly commit ourselves to once again to be people who live this verse out so well. Because when we think about those positive experiences, that's the benefit when we speak the way God wants us to speak. That word benefit literally means give grace. And that's what I want you to truly hold on to this morning. I asked you at the beginning, what words do you hear most loudly? And I don't know what words are filling your life right now. I don't know how many times you're hearing words that are maybe tearing you down or or weighing you down. But for a moment, I want you to set aside the words that you find yourself so frequently saying or the words that you hear others saying to you. And I want you to once again, remember what God has said to you. I want you to hear his word, the living word that took flesh and dwelt among us. This Jesus who came into our life with a resounding word of goodness and hope, a presence that was there to strengthen us that accepted us for all of our wounds, all of our faults, all of our shame, all of our mistakes, and said with a resounding exclamation, I love you. I want us to think about how powerful his word is to us. That it might be the example we follow and the word that always remains the loudest one we hear. Father in heaven, we thank you for the way you speak to us. And we ask, God, that you would allow us to reflect that same grace to others. God, we we pray specifically. Don't allow us to be a vehicle of unwholesome talk that destroys and wounds. Rather, Father, let us be a vehicle of grace. Grace of goodness that strengthens and builds up. And Father, for those of us that need to be strengthened today, that need to be built up, I pray that you would bring people into our lives to speak those words into us. But most importantly, may we not go with the ebb and flow of the people around us, but may we tune in to your voice that always reminds us of your profound, deep, rich, unending love. And may that be the voice that forever rings the loudest in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.